Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn in the Office of Mission, Ministry, and Interfaith Dialogue at St. Francis College in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as to how you utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcomes. And one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special day, Christmas Eve. And as such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest who will be showering us with her many gifts. Her name is Kat Kalella Graham. Kat is currently an independent consultant in employee experience and an adjunct professor with us right here at St. Francis College. Kat was the founder of Cheer Partners, the employee experience agency. Kat has deep leadership experience in internal communications, executive thought leadership, change communications, talent, HR advisory, and DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Want to note that her cheer partners was acquired by the Lippy Taylor Group in March 2021. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Kat. Well, thank you, Greg. It is an absolute pleasure to be here, especially on Christmas Eve. Oh, it certainly, certainly is. Share with the listeners and I, please, from what city and state you're checking in with us this morning, please. I am checking in with you from Locust Valley, New York, which is uh, a tiny little town in Long Island, but it's a really lovely one, too. So, mm, Well, you've just made the listeners and I very, very jealous. <laughs> beautiful place to be on this lovely, lovely Christmas Eve morning. Sadly, we've only got 30 minutes, Kat. If it's okay with you, we're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. Really, it's going to be very important for our listeners to uh, get acquainted with you a little bit more. I have the honor of knowing you a little bit more, certainly. Tell the listeners, please, a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much uh, for allowing me to be with you today. It's always a pleasure, Craig. And um, so my background is slightly unusual. I was actually raised in Europe, in France and Switzerland and um you know, didn't come to the States until I was 18. Wow. Really wanted to go to a U.S. college. And I ended up going to Boston College um, and really enjoyed my time there. And when I graduated, unless you were an accounting major at that time, it was very, very difficult to find a job. So you really were on your own career services was like, we don't know what to do with you. Wow. So the good news is that I was able to really 
figure out at a young age how to develop relationships, cultivate, curate, and care for them. And I was able to secure a job at Bank of Boston. And um, it I think it's now owned by the Bank of America group now that I think about it. But it was a really wonderful time for me because I was able to um, you know, work hard, take advantage of lots of opportunities. And it was a sort of community, I would say, because it really was a community that if you worked hard enough and wanted something, it didn't matter your background, your gender, your race, your religion, you were able to get it. Wow, that's awesome. I, it really was incredible. And I really enjoyed every opportunity I had there from taking courses at New England Banking Institute um, to being the youngest manager they had at 24. I managed two telephone um, correspondence units, telephone and correspondence units for investor relations. It was, it was fantastic. Mm. But here was the catalyst moment. Um, I had returned from parental leave with my first child. And my boss um, had also gone on parental leave and, and Bank of Boston at that time had generous parental leave for both men and women. So it was really kind of unusual in the early 90s. Wow. Um, yeah, it was unusual, but really a wonderful place. But when I returned from parental leave, um, the manager who was sort of pitch hitting for the manager on leave said, you're on the mommy track. We're actually not going to let you lead teams at this point. We're going to put you back in a sole contributor role. What? And I was devastated. Exactly, Greg. And it was not the experience that I'd had for my five years at Bank of Boston. I had nothing but wonderful experiences until that moment. But in fact, I want to thank, his name was Jim. I want to thank Jim because he really gave me an understanding of what it's like to, you know, feel like you believe in your organization, believe in the leadership, believe in the culture, and all of a sudden say, oh my goodness, maybe it's not what I thought it was. Maybe I need to look deeper into this. Mm. And I think that's what helped me sort of generate my career in, you know, first in human resources, then I explored internal communications and and so forth and so on. And I was very lucky to be able to work for really, really good leaders thereafter. Um, and along the way was able to explore the connection between the corporate brand and the employee and their experience and how that drives outcomes, um, business outcomes, retention outcomes, you know, belonging outcomes. It was really, I became a bit of a student of the workplace. Wow. Yeah. That was is amazing. So while you were doing this work, did you sort of do research or was it more observation yeah. or a combination of both? This is fascinating. <laughs> I think it was a combination of both. I ended up um, attending Cornell and I received my master's in industrial and labor relations. And while there is a good chunk of it that's in the collective bargaining union side of, of the work that you study. But there's also a lot of independent studies that allow you to connect with businesses and leaders that are doing things differently. So it was very, it was based on case study methodology. And that was a, that was a really wonderful experience for me. And, and a year later, in fact, in 2004, after I graduated, um, I actually got the trademark for employee experience. 
Um, so I'm the only one who has it and I, I'm very happy to have done it, but it was part of the research. When you think of a brand, Greg, name a brand that you love, any brand. Would it be okay to say the Franciscan brand or is that? The Franciscan brand is perfect. So the Franciscan brand brings to you a feeling and you feel aligned with that feeling. So you're always going to seek out the Franciscan brand because you've had a good experience. You feel included. You feel seen, valued, and heard. Absolutely. So many times consumers, we talk a lot about the brand experience and brand loyalty. Well, consumers say, well, I just love going to Stop and Shop because I always have a good experience and I will always go to Stop and Shop, for example. So it's not dissimilar for employees. So when you think about as a candidate, you ask anyone, well, what's a well, like? where would you love to work? And they will name a company that they feel aligns with their values and a good experience they've had likely as a customer. So you'll find people saying, I really want to work for Apple because maybe they love their iPhone or whatever that may be. But when you go deeper into it, and as we've seen with the technology companies and startups that have been, you know, coming of age, I guess, over the past several years, <laughs> they really try hard. It started with foosball tables and, you know, Margarita Mondays or whatever they're doing. But it, it really means we know that you're more than just the product of your work. And we want you to find community here and feel valued here. That is essentially what the employee experience is. Kat, I want to make sure I understand and for the benefit of the listeners, because you've given us so many nuggets already in a very short period of time. And we're so lucky to have someone of your ilk on, thank God, for Monday today. But do I perceive what you're saying? It's really important for the employee's values, core values, to be aligned with the core values of the employer. Is that somewhat what you're saying there? I think Absolutely. Yes. That is a resounding yes. And it's become more and more prevalent as we look back to the past couple of years of the pandemic. Employees are looking inward and making sure that where they work and how they work matches their own purpose and values. In fact, in 2019, which was before the pandemic, the World Economic Forum chose their word and their theme for 2019 at Davos to be purpose. And it was the very first time that companies were measured beyond financial returns or geographical footprints. They were measured on purpose and what that meant to all stakeholders. So that includes investors, consumers, and of course, employees. And there was a good third of that program dedicated to how leaders and organizations now have to state their purpose their credo in a way that resonates with employees and prospective employees, especially in hot talent markets. Oh, this is so fascinating. If you don't mind me reminiscing a bit, I can think about my 30 years in big pharma, but it wasn't really until I was downsized in the uh, mid 2000s that I met someone who you ironically know as well, Patrice Tanaka. Oh, yes. That helped me to determine my life purpose statement. Exactly. And it really showed me in reflection that big pharmaceuticals was not the place where I belonged for 30 years and really made me understand as to why 
my career was so topsy-turvy and my employee satisfaction wasn't where I would have liked it naturally to be, nor was my contribution anywhere near to what it could have been in a different circumstance, in a different venue. So it really seems to me, I've learned the hard way that purpose is so critical uh, in one's career. And so we do the Franciscan Career Transformation class at St. Francis, and we take college students, and Patricia actually comes in and works with them in order to determine at 19 and 20 and 21, their life purpose, so that they can really align their career choices with really who they are. So again, if I perceive correctly, this is something that you've learned on research on to observe that this match between purpose and career is really, really very important. It, it really is. And I think you touched on two important things in bringing up your experience with Patrice. And I think the first important thing is we all have our own values and those values could be service. It could be reflection. It could be community, whatever those values are, we want to see our employers now have them. And more and more employees are choosing to work for companies that they feel align with their values. But I think the second part, the byproduct of that is when you have when you're aligned with the values of the company that you're working with and you feel a part of the culture and you feel like you're doing something together and you have that sense of belonging, ultimately the organization benefits by you increasing your effort. It's called discretionary effort. If you believe in something, if you're passionate about it, if you feel a part of something, you're going to increase how you deliver in your role. In fact, you're going to stretch beyond just the scope of your role to make sure you're doing everything you can to forward the organization's ability to thrive and survive. But I think the other thing you touched on, which I think is so important, I'm so glad that Patrice, who is truly the master of finding your joy and purpose mm -hmm. in life, yes. she really is. Um, I think what's critical is we're seeing that the people who are thinking about this earlier in their career, so I had my experience with Jim, you had your experience with the pharmaceutical industry, but imagine had we been able to think about this and really put some thought into what is our purpose? What are we meant to do at that young age, at early career? I think it's so wonderful that St. Francis actually brings Patrice in to do this because so many people bring with them definitions of success that are not their own. Maybe it's their parents, maybe it's sure. their parents or, you know, pop culture, but to really think about what it is that you're meant to do at that age, it, I think is wonderful because it helps them build that roadmap to ultimately get there. It's so interesting what happens in this class invariably is that people will work with Patrice, craft that life purpose statement that she validates and tweaks and finalizes, and then they either move forward in the direction with the major as they were, or we've had instances where people have made total shifts, total pivots, because they came to realize just what you said. Well, mother or father really wanted me to do that, but that's not what's in my heart. What's in my heart is to go in this direction. And that saves so much time and money and energy at that young age uh, versus getting a degree and maybe a master's 
and coming out and doing work that's not meaningful, is not really motivating one, and the contribution is very, very limited. So uh, it, it's ironic because one of the quotes that Patrice loves to share is the Mark Twain quote, the two most important days of your life, the day you're born, and the day you find out why. Yes. <laughs> 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 is a fantastic quote. And yes, yeah, she's quoted that to me as well. And, you know, I think it is really important. Um, and, and when we think about, you know, when we look back at what we've done, whether that's look back over five years, look back over 10 years, or a whole career, we want to feel like we've actually contributed to something and not just worked. Because I think more and more people are thinking and reshifting their focus to wanting to, you know, work to live, but not live to work and making sure they're balancing their commitments to their community, their family, their personal health. It's so interesting to me to see how this has shifted and how employee advocacy has shown up in a way where these stakeholders are saying, we expect more from our workplace. We want to be seen as a whole human. And to know how it now your personal esteem is so infused by your professional esteem, but your professional esteem is now being really infused by your personal values and, and, and purpose. I had the great honor earlier this year by Tao publishing to publish a book that I wrote to transform yourself, transform the world, a Franciscan view of career. And this is exactly the thrust of the book, that we need to match not only what's in people's heads and mouths, but most of what's in their heart, really who they are, why they're here, uh, in order not to maximize their dollars. And yes, we know making money is important and this and that, but to maximize their contribution because the world is desperately in need of all the good that all of us have whether we're old men like me going to be 64 in 2023 or younger people like you or even some of the people in school now. So it's really, really fascinating. And Kat, I think this is a good time, if I may, because one of the things I've noticed is that post-pandemic, more and more people are thinking about purpose. They're thinking about values. They're thinking is it just coincidence or was that one of the byproducts of the pandemic? What have you observed, please? You know, I think it's interesting. I think this has been building for a while. And I think when the pandemic forced many companies to allow remote work for a long period of time, um, employees were managing you know, homework at the table with their kids at the same time, Zoom classes at the same time you know, trying to trying to get their actual work done in a brand new setting for which many were ill-prepared. It wasn't as if it was a thoughtful exercise for organizations to say, okay, you know what? Take the pharmaceutical ex uh, example. You know, you worked in R&D, you were in a lab, now you're going to be working from home. Mm -hmm. But there was not any sort of preparation as to how you will actually, what we're going to do to support you working from home. And that came later. But I think in the fact that we were all trying to figure it out together and employees were really getting a better sense of their home life. And then they got into the rhythm of, I can have breakfast with my children. I can have dinner with my children or my mother or my brother or my partner. The very good news is they said, oh, wait a second. 
I actually do like pieces of this. It doesn't mean everyone should work remotely, but I like the pieces of this of where I'm able to show up in other aspects of my life and employees together really got louder with saying, I want to design a life that, that fills my purpose in every way that my purpose shows up at home, in the community, in service and at work. And I think that the pandemic, it wasn't something that arose from the pandemic, but the pandemic allowed people to become more vocal about it. And we've seen that on you know, LinkedIn, for example, how many employees are shouting out either great, great employee experiences. I love working at X brand because they let me work remotely, you know, two days a week and they recognize the commute is tough on me or whatever that we're seeing both the good and we're also seeing the bad. Mm. where maybe employers are not as flexible or they tried to retain all talent during the pandemic. And all of a sudden they're switching gears in a way that feels maybe unlinked to their purpose and values and employees are voting with their feet. Absolutely. One of the things I'm perceiving is a tool like LinkedIn, which has so many millions of followers and users that when someone makes a statement on LinkedIn, it really carries weight. Others mm -hmm. are looking at that and that's influencing, well, do I express interest in that organization or not? Am, am I correct in this way, Kat? I, you're absolutely correct. And I think that's another really great point because when we think about from an organizational standpoint, the employer brand and the corporate reputation, it is really being now largely shaped not by media, not by articles, not even by leaders. It's being shaped by employees. So if I am now looking to apply to a job at X company, I'm going to be going on LinkedIn, looking them up and seeing what employees are sharing. What is that sentiment? So it's beyond Glassdoor now. It's a, it's a space where it's not anonymous. Employees are coming right out and sharing their experience. And I think one of the interesting recent examples is the Twitter employees who lost their jobs. Yes. And what they are sharing about their experience pre-leadership change is really heartwarming. And this group of alumni and those that sort of left the, the company before them are coming together to help each other in ways that are just so incredible because it was a company that seemed to have a great deal of purpose and real focus on employee experience. And then it's no longer the case, but everyone still feels and deeply connects with how working at Twitter was. Mm. And I think that's just a great example. Yeah, absolutely. Time's getting a bit short. We've only got about eight minutes. We could literally talk all morning. <laughs> we could. Sorry, we don't have more time. But you're an expert in a couple of things I really want to talk with you about. We're getting closer naturally to 2023. Uh, mm -hmm. People love to have new resolutions. Uh, you're an expert in self-care. Is there a self-care tip or two you'd like to share with the listeners and me? We really need to consider for 2023. You know, and I want to hear yours too, Greg. Um, I think listeners really need to focus on the task, not the time. So many of us go into January and say, I'm going to work out every day between 7 and 8 a.m. 
And then it's not sustainable for whatever reason. And for many reasons, or I'm going to do this every Saturday or whatever it is they're committing to, but focus on the task. I'm going to make sure that I take a walk every day, or I'm going to make sure that I stretch, or I'm going to make sure that I actually give back once a week, or I do something good for someone else once a week, whatever that is. It's not about every single day or every single Saturday or what whatever that looks like, it's intentionally doing the things that will bring you both physical and mental health and well-being and spiritual well-being. That's an important yeah. component, especially as we're sitting here talking on Christmas Eve, that's an important component too. And I think focusing on what it is you want to achieve, as opposed to the number of times you achieve it is far more important. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's funny because in the book, I talk about a Franciscan self-care wheel, which has an awful lot of different things on it. But even just the physical, and I don't want to say just the physical, but one of the things I was very intentional about the last six months is to get seven hours of sleep because I'm a bear to live with. The brothers will tell you who might live. But when I get less than seven hours, I'm really irritable. So it's funny I started going to bed about 45 minutes to an hour earlier, not going to the computer, not going to the television, but going to, and that has really changed physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. I feel so much better. I can listen better. I have a more open heart for God and for others. And so if I was to share one tip for some self-care for our listeners, uh, would be uh, getting that sleep. They need. Some people can exist on five hours. Some people need the nine or eight hours. But uh, to think more about the, the kind of sleep, the amount of sleep you need and uh, to, to try to get that sleep. One thing before we have to part our ways, I want to talk with again, because you are an expert in DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. What role, Kat, do you feel inclusion plays in purpose and values-driven organizations? Why does it even matter, please? I mean, I think it matters so much. And I don't think it's just my personal opinion. I think it really does matter across the board. And if we look at um, certifications like B Corp certification, which is making sure that companies are you know, environmentally responsible, fiscally responsible, but also ensuring that not only are they hiring for diversity, but including those that they've hired in all levels of career mobility, it matters. It matters more than ever. And I think particularly where we're in hybrid working environments for most, those that are only joining remote versus those that are on site, we are we already have a dichotomy of how people are feeling about their career mobility at their company. But then add in the layers if we feel like we're different or we're other than for whatever reason, and everyone has their own reason to feel like they may be not be included, it really does affect not only their performance, but it affects their well-being. And I think employers are seeing more and more that they are responsible for well-being. No question about it. I can remember at different times in my 30-year career in Big Pharma, there were some managers I absolutely loved. They gave me full reign. They gave me full voice. And then there was occasionally a scenario where I might have a boss who kind of reined me in, if you will, or did not allow me to articulate. And I remember during those times, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, I felt worse than I did at those times. 
when I was able to have that voice, when I was able to do things and I know my manager would be confident in me and allow me the empowerment to, to try new things and be as innovative as possible. So, I think uh, that's so important, though, because if we look at what happened after George Floyd's murder, mm, employees mm. really felt like, okay, there, there is systemic change we need to have for social and racial justice. Yes. There's systemic change we need for diversity equity, which is a huge component, and inclusion at organizations. And organizations rushed to go external with, we're going to support Black Lives Matter. We're going to support you know, gun legislation, whatever the socio justice issue was, but ultimately internally employers like, well, Hey, wait a second. You're saying you're doing this externally. That's not our lived experience. Mm. Here's what we demand. And I think that's really important too. The employee voice is really guiding company conscience. And I think it's an important, an important piece of it, because if we look at you know, how people typically get promoted, for example, in organizations, it's because they're their bud or part of their squad. So it's the usual suspect that continually have the greatest opportunities. But the companies who actually say, you know what, we want to level set this and make everyone have equal and genuinely equitable opportunities outperform those that don't. And I think that's really what we're seeing too, is when you actually are inclusive and an easy way to do this, anyone who runs a meeting, let's say we have a weekly meeting at any company, any of you listeners listening in now, rotate who leads the meeting. Oh my. Simple trick. It doesn't have to be the same person every time. Go around the room, whoever is invited to that standing meeting, rotate every week who leads that meeting. That is one simple way to include all voices and approaches. What a fabulous, fabulous idea. Kat, again, we can't thank you enough for being our very, very special guest on this Christmas Eve. You've given us so many nuggets already. How can our loyal listeners best follow you? Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Greg, for allowing me to be here on Christmas Eve and and listeners um, for for listening in. Um, You can follow me on LinkedIn, um, linkedin.com forward slash cat, C-A-T, Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M. You can follow me on Twitter, which is H-R, Cat Graham. Um, Or honestly, feel free to reach out in any way. Um, My email is pretty public, so you're welcome to reach out that way as well. I would be happy to talk to anyone about infusing more purpose in your lives and especially in your work lives. Listeners, no excuse. Kat has given us many ways to get in contact with her. Please, please. She's given us so many gifts already this morning. More gifts to come. Don't hesitate to reach out to her. And speaking of gifts, I want to just let you know tonight at 8 p.m. on WSOU, right here, 89.5 FM, our Franciscan Christmas Eve special is coming back, coming back live for the first time since the pandemic. We'll have a lot of Christmas music, heavy metal music, the religious music. The phones will be open to make requests. Tell us what you're doing for Christmas Eve. So from 8 to 10 tonight, if you can, Please join us for our Franciscan Christmas Eve special. Listeners, sadly, once again, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that you wake up on Monday morning, just like Kat does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays, everybody. And we'll see you next Saturday morning for the next episode of Thank God for Monday. Bye-bye.